Welcome to Healthy vs. Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Bande. Today's question asks, how can one repel a vulnerable narcissist? So not that long ago, I did a video about how to repel essentially a grandiose narcissist. And here in this video, I'm looking at the vulnerable side. So sometimes what happens with narcissism is people find that they want to avoid a romantic relationship or even minimize a work relationship with a narcissist. And there are a variety of reasons why this is the case, and I'll get to some of them in a moment. Of course, using strategies to repel a narcissist could work in some other contexts as well. So first I'll talk briefly about narcissism, and then we'll take a look at how to repel a narcissist. So again, we're looking at the vulnerable side here, not the grandiose. I'll cover both of them briefly. So both of them have self-centeredness, entitlement, a need for admiration, and disagreeableness. Grandiose narcissism specifically is characterized by having a high level of extroversion and low neuroticism, again, in addition to that low agreeableness. We also see social boldness, being arrogant, condescending, overly self-confident, having superficial charm, being unemotional, and having externalized anger. We also notice that this type of narcissist is resistant to criticism. Now, we move over to vulnerable narcissism. We see, again, of course, that low agreeableness, but here we also see low extroversion and high neuroticism. And we see other traits like not trusting people, being resentful, being insecure, having a lot of shame, being socially awkward, cold and distant, having internalized anger, and being hypersensitive to criticism. So the grandiose narcissist is resistant to criticism, and the vulnerable narcissist is sensitive to criticism. So why would somebody want to repel a vulnerable narcissist? Well, this is a matter of personal choice, of course. In the video about grandiose narcissism, I listed some of the reasons why people would want to avoid a grandiose narcissist. And here I'll look at those and then compare them to how they would be with vulnerable. Because again, grandiose and vulnerable are different in so many ways, and the reasons that somebody may want to avoid each type of narcissist may be different. The grandiose narcissist has a lack of interest in forming close relationships. This usually isn't considered a positive thing, especially for romantic relationships or even friendships. A vulnerable narcissist actually has a high interest in forming close relationships, but they're not able to trust, so they really can't form those relationships too well. Now, we also see with grandiose narcissism, more conflicts, they tend to seek revenge, and there's no forgiveness. Vulnerable is similar, except I would add there are a number of guilt trips. That's a common tactic we see with vulnerable narcissism. With grandiose, we see a tendency to be selfish, lack respect, not have tolerance of other people, and not have empathy. Specifically in long-term relationships, we see the same with vulnerable narcissism. With grandiose, we see a devaluation of partners. I would say the same thing occurs with vulnerable narcissism, covert narcissism as it's called sometimes, except we also see an over-evaluation as well. So this makes it seem a little bit more like borderline personality disorder, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So we also see with grandiose low emotional intimacy, love, and trust. I would say with 
covert narcissism, we see more of a capacity for emotional intimacy, but a much lower level of trust. With grandiose or overt narcissism, we see a higher risk of infidelity and divorce. With vulnerable narcissism, it's actually a high risk, but not as high. So it's still higher than if no narcissism was there at all, but not as high as overt narcissism. Now, with both types of narcissism, we see aggression, but again, with vulnerable, it's more internalized, but of course that can still be destructive to a relationship. And with both types of narcissism, we see low relationship satisfaction and low relationship quality. So a number of reasons that somebody may want to avoid or repel the vulnerable narcissist. Now, whenever somebody's using strategies to repel anybody, it's important to keep in mind that identification of the type of person you want to repel is important. So in this case, the covert narcissist. Because, of course, the problem would be that strategies that would repel a narcissist would repel anyone. So identification, again, is really kind of a key step and kind of looking for the signs of narcissism and knowing that somebody would probably be narcissistic, would be more of a risk, is something you want to know in advance. You don't want to get into these strategies and then find out that they weren't narcissistic at all. So why is repelling a narcissist difficult? Why would there be a list of strategies? Wouldn't this be something that people would automatically know? Well, I think a lot of people know that they would want to repel a narcissist. The tricky part is that narcissism is associated with romantic success in the short term. I talked about this with grandiose narcissism, but it's also true for vulnerable narcissism. The reasons are a little different. With grandiose narcissism, it's really the superficial charm that aids in success, short-term success in relationships. With vulnerable narcissism, the short-term success is really high because of the intense emotional and physical intimacy that the vulnerable narcissist attempts, right? So the vulnerable narcissist seems deeper and in many ways really is more emotionally complex than a grandiose narcissist. And that is attractive for some people. In the short run, people really feel like they make a connection at a deep level with a vulnerable narcissist. So really, again, with that high attraction level, repelling becomes more important if that's what somebody wants to do. So we can see from all this that vulnerable narcissism is quite different than grandiose. Grandiose has a mental disorder that is connected with it. So extreme grandiose features might qualify as narcissistic personality disorder. Vulnerable narcissism doesn't have any psychopathological classification associated with it, but it has substantial overlap with borderline histrionic and dependent personality disorders. And this knowledge, this overlap between vulnerable narcissism and these other personality disorders or personality traits can be used to develop strategies to repel the narcissist. So before I get into these strategies, just a word on repelling the vulnerable narcissist. I'm offering thoughts, not advocating deception, and not really even advocating doing these things. You really have to talk to a counselor to get specific advice about your situation if you're worried about a narcissist. These are just general strategies that seem to make sense based on the research literature and my clinical experience. But again, there's no way to know how they would perform in any given specific situation. Another important point here is, and this goes back to identification, is that some of the strategies that would repel a vulnerable narcissist might actually attract a grandiose narcissist. So 
you do have to know what type of narcissist you're dealing with and what type of narcissist you want to repel. So now taking a look at these strategies. These strategies are really grouped into some different categories and you'll see in some sense they line up with the overlap between vulnerable narcissism and borderline histrionic and dependent personality features. So the first strategy is do not do things for the vulnerable narcissist that they can do for themselves. When we look at the dependent personality angle, we see specifically in the symptom criteria for dependent personality disorder. Someone urgently seeks another relationship as a source of care and support when a close relationship ends. So if you do things for a vulnerable narcissist that they know how to do, in essence you're supporting them and that will attract them. If you don't, they will move on and find someone who will, just like with what we see in that symptom criterion. If they don't find the support, they're going to move on and try to find it somewhere else. That's a key feature of dependent personality. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Another similar strategy is do not allow them to volunteer to help you if they are inauthentic about helping you, right? So what's this getting at? Well, again, if we look at dependent personality disorder, we see that people with this disorder volunteer for unpleasant activities in order to get access to support, in order to build relationships. So you don't want them volunteering to help you if they're not really serious about it, if they're not really genuine about it, because they're going to have an ulterior motive and they're going to act on that motive. You do not want to be the person that the vulnerable narcissist goes to to make decisions for them. We see that people who have vulnerable narcissism can be indecisive, again, just like people who are dependent. So don't offer them those definitive answers. Don't make decisions for them. Encourage them to make decisions on their own. And if they're a vulnerable narcissist, that would likely repel them. This next strategy is similar to one we see for grandiose narcissism. Don't move a relationship into a physical level quickly, right? So never express an interest in a short-term relationship, or if they express interest in that type of relationship, appear to be uninterested, right? Just move away from that topic. Again, the vulnerable narcissist tends to want to advance a relationship quickly. They use their strong abilities with intimacy and affection to try to get somebody attracted to them. Again, this can be very, very effective. So to overcome that, you want to avoid the areas where they're strong, right? You want to play 
against their weaknesses, not against their strengths. So in the short-term relationships, they're very effective. That intimacy can be really quite attractive. So you want to avoid expressing any interest in that type of relationship. So really it comes down to making it clear about what the relationship really is, setting the boundaries. Is it a romantic relationship? If so, at what level? If you have a work relationship with somebody, what's the boundary there? The same thing for other types of social interactions. This belief that the vulnerable narcissist has, the idea that relationships are more intimate than they are, really comes from the histrionic personality traits that overlap with vulnerable narcissism. So a few other strategies around maintaining distance and boundaries. I think an important part is letting somebody kind of know where they stand in terms of rank or status. So not necessarily like in an organization or something like that, but how you rank them, right? How you view someone's position, their level of importance to you, their rank in your life. Now, some of these strategies around maintaining distance and boundaries can seem a bit unkind if they're not handled correctly. So one strategy would be like in an office setting. Say someone comes into the office and they're looking for help and you have a few different coworkers that could help them, and one of them is the vulnerable narcissist. You could refer that person to one of your coworkers and then to the vulnerable narcissist as like a secondary referral, right? So say that the non-narcissist person in the office is named Norman and the vulnerable narcissist is named Victor, right? Because it's like normal and vulnerable, right? Norman and Victor. So you might say, well, Norman can really help you with this problem. Say they have a problem with IT, like something with computers or operating a machine or whatever. Norman would really be a good choice to help you with this. You could also talk to Victor, right? Kind of dismissive, kind of letting Victor know that he's really an afterthought, right? He's not really in the forefront of your thinking, kind of putting him to the side. So again, if not handled properly, that could be a bit unkind. Another strategy here would be don't seek assistance from the vulnerable narcissist. Don't let them do you a favor. You don't want to feel like you owe the narcissist anything, and as importantly, you don't want them to feel like they're owed something. So this just keeps any type of debt balance at zero, right? There's no debt either way. If a vulnerable narcissist refers to you as a friend, again, with other people around, you could hesitate and say, well, really, it's more like an acquaintance, right? Kind of pushing them back a little. And to take it a step further, and again, I think this is almost just downright mean, you could say, well, maybe acquaintance is a little strong, right? You could take a second step back, okay? But I think that's unnecessary in most situations, right? If somebody says in front of other people that they're your friend and you back away from that even one step, I think that drives the point home pretty well. You could use a similar strategy with romantic relationships. The narcissist refers to you as someone who they are dating, and you could say, well, we went out a couple times. It's nothing serious. You could talk about a future that doesn't involve them, even when you're in a romantic relationship with them. So like changing jobs, moving to a new area, finding a new romantic partner, right? So this would, of course, be in the initial stages of some sort of dating relationship. If this were later on, there'd have to be a more in-depth conversation about how your plans kind of deviate from what's going on in that romantic relationship. But either way, what you're really doing here is you're telling the narcissist where they fit in the picture, and it's nowhere good from their perspective. So 
What's tricky here, too, is if you're trying to repel a vulnerable narcissist, you have to wonder if you should even be in that early stage romantic relationship with a vulnerable narcissist. So it's not like these strategies can find a narcissist and push them away. You have to, like I talked about before, identify them and then use the strategies. So that's why I think these appear a little mean because it's like leading somebody to one point by engaging in some level of relationship with them and then pushing them back. So it's not about surprise or deception or like tricking them or ambushing them or something like that. It's just about repelling and repelling is better to do before there's any relationship form there. But still, if you were going to use these strategies, a kind of similar technique would be to seem pleasantly surprised if they talk about leaving, right? So you're in the initial stages of a relationship and you want to repel them in maybe a less than straightforward way. So they talk about how they might have other plans and you say, that's great for you. I'm happy for you. They're looking for you to say the opposite, of course, right? They're looking for you to say, please don't go. What about us? What about our future? So this would be a way to repel them, right? Being happy for them if they're going to leave would tend to push somebody away. If a vulnerable narcissist offers friendship, especially connected to activities, right? They say, well, can we go see a movie or go out to eat? But not in a romantic way. But you, again, have this object of repelling them. You could say, I like things the way they are now. That's a fairly harsh rejection, even one that could be considered narcissistic, depending on how it's delivered. So if it comes across narcissistic, of course, that might draw in the grandiose narcissist. So some caution has to be used there. As I mentioned before, a few times it really does go back to knowing what type of narcissist you're dealing with. So the bottom line here is that most expressions that convey rejection will repel a vulnerable narcissist, as well as potentially draw anger, so caution is required. With the vulnerable narcissist, it's really about failure to create a relationship in the first place, because it's through the relationship that the narcissistic characteristics are expressed. A grandiose narcissist can directly harm you. You don't have to know them well for them to harm you. The vulnerable narcissist usually harms in the context of a relationship. So these strategies are really about denying them that relationship, not even getting in a little bit in terms of any level of intimacy or friendship. In a sense, this is where we see the overlap with borderline personality disorder. Individuals with borderline personality disorder typically don't have difficulty with people when there was never any closeness, when there was no relationship. And this is largely how vulnerable narcissism functions. Without the context of that relationship, there's really less room to do damage. Once you let them inside, once you let them close, they can really cause a lot of harm. The grandiose narcissist can harm at a distance. The vulnerable narcissist typically likes to harm up close and personal. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breitigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. 
To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslonga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.